Good evening. This is The Pipeline. I'm your host this evening, James Finkbeiner. I'm uh, joined by Nigel Hannaford, our opinion editor. Great to see you here doing this, James. Thanks for joining me. I like doing this with friends and not by myself. And uh, <laughs> our copy editor and reporter, Mike Thomas. Hello. Thank you guys very much for joining me tonight. Uh, on tonight's show, first up, we have repealing Calgary's insane anti-bag bylaw. Well, Mike, yes. why don't you explain this one to me? It's ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> um, basically what happened in council on uh, Tuesday afternoon was it was taken to a vote to consider repealing the uh, bylaw. And it was a, a 10 to 5 voted, yes, we will uh, repeal it. So what happens now is that it will go to council again on March 31st for a public hearing, uh, which uh, the public can participate in. And you, you do need to register. You go to calgary.ca if you want to be in council chambers and give them your thoughts on, on the bylaw. And uh, at the end of the public hearing, it will be voted on. And I'm assuming if, if this vote is correct, it will be voted down and it will disappear. Oh, that would be nice. Yes. It's uh, it's interesting. So a couple of councillors had to switch their votes here. Um, Nigel, what do you think got them to change their minds? Oh, I think a massive public rejection of the whole concept. Yeah. I mean, Mike here is talking about if you want to be there in the council chambers, you'd better register. How about if you want to be there in the TELUS Convention Centre, you'd better register because that's the level of discontent and dismay about this. And I think that people just, well, they perceive two things. One is that uh, here's somebody else interfering in my life over something that's pretty both petty and important at the same thing. Like this is not a big deal in itself, but darn it, you know, you can't even, you can't even have a plastic bag for your parsnips, right? So you take one out of your pocket and there's still still usable from three weeks ago when they were legal. You know, people don't want to be reduced to doing that. And the other thing, and I heartily concur with this, is this is just not something that any city council, this one especially, should be concerning themselves no. with. I mean, this is just, aren't we good peoples caring about the earth? I'm glad you care about the earth, but this is not the way to do it. Fix the roads, get that done right, Take care of the sewers, look after the parks, make sure there's somebody to cut the grass and, you know, handle police and fire. Well, totally. And leave it alone. It's just more bureaucratic bungling. Yes. Um, it, it, it makes no sense to drive up to a McDonald's or wherever and ask for your order and then they you ask for a bag and they charge you 15 cents for that. And I think the thinking is, well, if you're going to pay for the bag, you won't throw it in the garbage or it won't end up on the street or something like that. And of course, that's not true. Yeah. Not true. But we were talking in the newsroom yesterday. And we have a very efficient bottle return system that nobody complains about. Uh, you get your bottles, uh, you take them back, you get your money and off you go. And so why can't we set up something like that in terms of the catch-up packets or bags? I mean, how, how it would be structured, I don't know. That takes some thought. But why not just add an extra nickel or whatever it is 
to the bag, the ketchup pallet, and then you take them to the, we have the depots in place. Uh, take them to the depot, they weigh them or count them or whatever they do, and they give you some money back. And now they've got these uh, bags and things like that, that they can engineer to put into uh, uh, waste removal properly. But you know, there's, there's, I don't usually give a, a shout out to other groups, but I've got to say the Canadian Taxpayers Federation made a very good point in, the, in their comment on this. Uh, when they, they just said, look, um, it starts small and it gets bigger. Yeah. Um, it's scrap this tax before it balloons into wackier items, wackier plans like the city of Vancouver had to abandon. Well, this I did not know. I, mean, I, must, uh, I, I missed this completely when it happened, but the city of Vancouver had um, a policy on paper cups. Yes. Do you know about it? I did. Yeah, well, they've abandoned it. Anyway, uh, sometimes reality and practicality just run smack into ideology. And as this is an ideology that um, it's somebody's job, but it's not city council's, then I'm very glad to see this development. Well, like Dave and I were talking about earlier on the Corgan Morgan show this afternoon, uh, we were talking about the bike lanes and how the bike lanes are immediately cleared of snow. Yep. But we have bylaw officers and essentially the uh, sidewalk enforcement for sidewalk shoveling is done by bylaw, but it, it's done when they are requested to enforce. So how would this law have even been enforceable? Are, are we going to put Calgary bylaw officers in, in McDonald's and make sure they're charging 15 cents for a bag? It's only been uh, in place for, I think, a week, maybe a week and a half. But uh, I will tell you that there has been very few times I've actually been charged for a bag. And I know that because after the order has been completed and I have paid, I have then been offered a bag. Now, I'm not going to wrap those businesses out. Um, they're awesome people. They're great places. I go there frequently. But I have not had to ask for a napkin, ask for a fork, or pay for a bag out, well, outside of the grocery store. But, you uh, know. James, I'll tell you how these things get out of hand. There will be some person who has decided that this is their cause. All the things on God's green earth that they're going to care about, they're going to care about paper bags and plastic forks and they will go to fast food restaurants and they will be given one and then they will turn around and rat out the and then the bylaw officer will show up and you get two or three prosecutions and then suddenly everybody starts to do it that's how these things get and that's actually a really vicious uh anti-citizenry just a real bad form thing to do but that's what happens well and if if, if the goal is what to... happened during COVID, by the way oh exactly if somebody sees somebody having a good time in their front oh, yeah. room call the police call the police if, bastards if there's if the if the overall goal is to actually reduce waste and reduce what's going into the landfill and deal with the plastic crisis which i i have a hard time with this plastic crisis i don't believe there is a crisis uh you know we have plastic pollution i, I think it's dirty i think we could all clean up our act a little bit but uh why would they go after the compostable bags for one? And why wouldn't they be encouraging that? These bags go into the municipal uh, compost facility. They were designed with the municipal compost facility. This could be a solution to the, the plastic problem completely because not only do they work in the environment as compost, but they work in the municipal facilities. Now they're saying they were trying to stop 
the, the, the compost or the, the waste from getting to the facility in the first place. Well, what's the point of having a compost facility if we're not going to compost? Fair point. And if it's not going to go, it's go, the waste is going to be generated anyway. So if it's not going to go in a compostable bag, what is it going to go in? Interesting point. So, yes. Like, we're, we're not going to stop using bags for our convenience. No. And, and the, the paper bags are, are one thing, uh, but the, 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 the cloth reusable bags or the reusable bags that they call them, they only last for so long. They're not recyclable. They're not compostable. So why wouldn't be, like, they're going to become part of the plastic problem or they're going to yep, be part eventually. of the waste problem. So why wouldn't we be encouraging compost and building up that compost facility to be able to handle the additional compost if we're moving away from plastic and paper and other type stuff. You know, it's uh, it's definitely been frustrating. I, it's one of those things where, you know, it probably looked great on paper and when they seen it in practice or they got handed their McDonald's burger and their fries and whatever just through the window and all of a sudden there's kids with dumping pop all over the vehicle and there's fries in the cup holder you know, I, I bet I bet these counselors got a lot of very angry phone calls. But, you know, more to that, it's affordability. And right now, no one in Canada is having a great time. Groceries, gas, home heating, absolutely every aspect of our life. Uh, the costs have gone up. I actually did some quick math. So I've been using HelloFresh for a while. That is seven um, meal kits delivered to my house once a week. That would be 15 cents per bag. Essentially, that's going to work out to $50 a year. $50 a year in the grand scheme of things isn't a ton of money, but realistically, if I have kids, a family, a mortgage, fuel, and everything else has gone up, that $50 for some people comes down to being able to eat or being able to heat their homes. 50 bucks a year? You spend 50 bucks a week on cigars. Come on. I actually spend <laughs> about $116 a week. Actually, I think it's $160 now. I I don't let them tell me how much I'm actually paying because uh, <laughs> no, and it's it's 75 or 80 percent taxes on those as well. So I just feel so frustrated that my weakness is just giving Trudeau more money to blow. Um, yeah, so I'm glad to see that. Uh, the counseling for them. Uh, well, yeah, um, actually, uh, the the Alberta government is actually, well, all of the governments in Canada are actually ste stepping up their uh, addictions treatment for smoking, uh, which is good. I wish they would treat meth and crack the same way, though. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Especially with the warning labels that they put on cigarettes. Um, but that actually brings us to uh, to our next point here. They are going to delay made for the mentally ill. Yes. Now, I this this. This to me has been disgusting. Um, I, I, I support the MAID program. I do. I don't think somebody who has ALS, cancer, where their death is imminent and there's no way out of it, they should be able to die with dignity. But that's not what this is. No. People with mental health and addictions issues, those can be treated. So how did we get here? Very good question. Yeah, really. And I think it, we got to this point, the same way we got to quite a lot of other issues that divide us these days in society, there's a certain worldview, certain mindset that uh, that makes human beings expendables. And uh, uh, when you remove the certainties, certainties, for instance, that come from religious belief, well, when anything goes, and if you're going to argue that human beings are essentially commodities or they're like animals, just a sort of a more intelligent animal. 
that in itself is perhaps a debatable yeah, point, but at any rate, you know, you ask how we get here? That's how we get there. And I, I actually like the way that you put it just then, that people who are in an extremity, I think that is their choice. I hope that I would not make it myself, because that doesn't square with who I say I am, but also I've never experienced the kind of pain that somebody who is a week away from dying with ALS, for example, mm -hmm. will experience or the worst forms of cancer. Where the problem comes in, and you, you said this, is that when we expand it to people who aren't just about to die, but who are going to die at some time in the next year, which is where we have got to at the moment. And the plan was to make it possible for people who are just not having a good time, they're mentally ill. Somebody who is so mentally ill that they can't even drive their car should probably not be making a life and death decision about themselves. So is the government looking at them as a burden on society and let's just get rid of them? And I hate to use that language, but... Um, you know, Mike, I, a lot of people say that, and it's like a lot of these things, there is some truth to it. There was a report put out two years ago that uh, made at that particular point was saving, I think, the province of Ontario about $90 million a year. Well, $90 million is a lot of money to the ordinary citizen, but for a health system, for a province, it's peanuts. So I don't yeah. really think that's what's driving it. I honestly think that it's a, a misguided sense of uh, human rights. Yes. But it is misguided. And let me tell you a story. We have a columnist, Linda Slobodian. Yes. Very popular, very well read. And about a year ago, she got tipped off about a young man. And this, by the way, is before these, these laws that were, have now just been delayed were, were, were even being talked about. A young man, 23 years old, had um, diabetes. He was losing his sight, and uh, we think he was depressed. He found a doctor in Ontario who agreed to give him medical assistance in dying. The date was set. Linda researched the story. She had plenty of help from the anguished mother. And uh, we created enough of a stink about it that the operation didn't go through. This is all in our back files for anybody who's really interested. A second story about three months later talked about how this young man was now living with his grandparents, which was, I guess, uh, for him, uh, you know, a, a good, good place to be. He was um, busy and he had a girlfriend and he wasn't talking about maid anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people who are mentally ill it can change. Oh, yes. yes. People, have, uh, have, people have been in deep depressions, and then they've come out of them. Sometimes it's with medication. Sometimes it's with the gospel. Sometimes it's just, you know, good medical treatment. Whatever it is, mental illness is not the end. And to have somebody take their own lives while they're in that condition is just unconscionable. Yep. It shouldn't happen. But I, it's, I think one of the most detrimental things you can do to somebody who's struggling with mental illness, depression anxiety is to say you've given up on them. Uh, and I think that the message this sends by saying, oh, well, you can get made. 
uh, is that society has given up on them, that there is no treatment for mental illness, that there is no, that the way you feel right now is the way you're going to feel forever. And that's not true. We have decades of science that says mental illness can be treated. And like you said, there's many different ways to treat mm -hmm. it. It can be a doctor. It can be medication. It can be talk therapy. It can be religion. It could be a new job. You can ask your barber. You can ask your hairdresser. A haircut can cure depression, at least for a few hours. But it, it's it's shocking to me that the medical community, and, and especially this is being driven by people on the left, that you know they're the ones that say we need to do a better job of protecting the vulnerable in society. We need to have better social supports. We need to have better social security, and we need better uh, healthcare and treatment for these people. And then at the same time saying, but if that doesn't work, you know, just die. Yeah. And I, 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 I can't, I can't square that circle. No, and, and, and that's because you're a sane individual. The 13th, there were 13,421 people, according to the public health agency of Canada, who received medical assistance in dying during the year 2022. That's about a third more than it was in 2021, which is about half as much again as it was in 2020. And it is going up exponentially. So much for the idea that we're waiting for people in extremis to do this. It is becoming a choice. Now, they don't actually list medical assistance in dying as a cause of death in Statistics Canada. Really? But you can find the numbers with the Public Health Agency of Canada, which does have a silo office dealing with this and nothing else. So there's the number. Let me take that 13,421 and move it over to the Statistics Canada table, and it works out as the seventh largest cause of death in Canada. You'll never see it in Statistics Canada. If you had cancer and you took MAID, you're just a cancer victim. But over here in PHAC, they know who you are, and they, they, they list it separately. But that's how prevalent this is becoming. Ordinary suicides, when people just finish themselves off, less than 4,000. Medical, 13,000. 13, it's um, astonishing how it's that's, growing. Yeah, it, that's a shocking number. And th There's been exponential growth on this, but we've even seen uh, stories. I think the one story came out of Ontario where uh, someone was experiencing homelessness or they were their rent had gone up, they were going to become homeless. And one of the options that was presented to them was made. And, and it feels mm -hmm. like this has become the backup default of we don't know. And they throw their hands up in the air and they, it's tough. It's it's a hard problem to solve. And they say, well, how about made? Yeah. Well, you'll never get anybody in, in officialdom to confirm this, but the anecdotal uh, experience of people who are in hospital, if they're in tough shape and, you know, things are, things are not looking good, they're very quick to mention that made is a possibility. Like, they really market this. I what why what why i i i well why i honestly think that some people believe they're doing a good thing you know as most people actually do think that they're doing what's right in their own eyes they don't do what's wrong in their own eyes might be what's wrong in your eyes and my eyes and Mike's eyes, like, yeah. but they honestly think they're doing a good thing all right I, I think as a society maybe we should take a little bit of time to reflect take a look in the mirror and 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 really ask ourselves what we should be doing to help people and how we should help people but uh let's move on to something less is less depressing and equally as tragic <laughs> the cbc bosses say 
that they are protecting us from misinformation. <laughs> yes, they are. Look at that here. Oh. This is, uh, I got this from Nigel's. 10 pages of corrections that the CBC has made on its own broadcasts right here. This is off its website, Mike. Right off the CBC website. So people, you can go have a look at it. It's, it's just, it's unbelievable. We said this, whoops, that was wrong. We said this, whoops, that was wrong. Um, and so they're the defenders of misinformation. I, I mean, they're the, they're the providers of misinformation. I mean, yes. I, I, I hate that everything goes back to COVID all the time, but we have to, with this one, we go back to COVID and, and first we talk about the fear and the fear that was propelled out of the mainstream media was crazy. And we go all the way down to the trucker protest and then look at story after story after story of the misinformation and the fear that they drove around uh, the, the convoy. So those things aren't in here. No, no, this is these are kind of reporter errors where it's a mostly it's a reporter error, as a matter of fact. I mean, I, look, let's be fair. Let's let's give the CBC their due. This is what they say. This is on their website. Um as part of their commitment to transparency, they're publicly tracking significant corrections. So these are the, you know, these are the multiple significant corrections or clarifications. At least they do that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I will give them that. Yep. But when you go through it, you do, uh, you, you do get a little weary sometimes. And there are some things which, I, you know, you, you mentioned the truckers convoy. I don't see that in here. I don't see them saying, well, actually we kind of, um, got that wrong. And if we're going to be talking about misinformation and disinformation, what about the CBC's refusal to call people who murder and brutalize other people terrorists? Yeah. You know, obviously I'm talking about the Gaza situation and the incident that, that stopped it. I mean, I don't want to even talk about the, some of the things they did when they jumped the border and started killing people at that rave. Yeah. And it, it, this, it goes far, far beyond a quick bullet in the head or anything like that, and that's Indeed. plenty bad enough. They won't call that terrorism. Now, to me, that is an act of disinformation in itself, not misinformation. This is an attempt to deceive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it, it's, uh, it, it, they, they want to control the narrative, and, and they think that their, their job is to control the narrative countrywide. And that's just simply not true. That's why we have so many different independent news agencies popping up. Most of them, like, well, the Rebel, for example, the, part of their mission statement, they say, is to counteract the CBC. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see the CBC take activist stances on things all the time, uh, particularly around uh, the terrorist attacks in Israel and uh, the ongoing war there now. And, like, they're, they're, they're sending everything to the managers to approve before it goes out. And, you know, it, it, it'll take you three seconds to Google CBC Alberta and you can find Kaylin Ford and the uh, outright lies that they published about her. That case is still ongoing. But even our own premier had to settle with the CBC just not long ago yes. over a lawsuit over over their misinformation. Well, and, actually, uh, that, they, they, they do make reference to this here. They but do. They're kind to themselves. They, <coughs> they admit. That so is that is that internal uh, policy or is that coming from outside the organization do you think 
I, I think it's coming from inside the, the organization. Yeah, I, I think it's coming well. straight from the top. Uh, you look at the, the, the CEO and the bonuses right now, and she has been on a media tour being absolutely unapologetic about laying people off and taking her $100,000 bonus. I could not imagine how they measure success in their business then. Because if you look, uh, I actually looked at this. So uh, when I was looking at an article that you guys sent me, the articles that come up referencing uh, CBC, CTF calls for CBC head to cut executive bonuses after layoffs. CBC CEO misled with indigenous language services claim. CBC faces TV ad revenue crash. Heritage minister tells CBC to justify executive bonuses. So where's the good job? There was two misinformation articles right there. And, and then followed up with, uh, well, you take a billion dollars of, of tax dollars, you make an aggressive salary to start with, your ad revenue is crashing, you had to lay off employees, but you did such a good job, you're going to get a $100,000 bonus. I, I think the bonus structure around here, Derek and I are going to have to have a talk. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> I need to nosedive the advertising department and then I'll get a, I'll, I'll get a bonus. Yeah. Yeah, you know it, it, that this business about where does the direction come from? Yeah, it, it, I know a lot of people who uh, are very concerned about the CBC think that it flows from the top. I don't. I'm with you on this. I am convinced that within the CBC there is a hiring method that excludes people who don't follow the basic prescription. There may be some difference of points of view at the margins and uh, some people a little more conservatively inclined than others. But fundamentally, if you don't fit the left-wing progressive mold, you're not going to get hired. I'm going to get hired. And the other thing, many people like to imagine a situation where there's a call from the PMO to the CBC okay, we'll take care of it. I don't believe that happens. Nobody needs to be told because they're all those kinds of people in the first place. They wouldn't have got the damn job yeah. if they weren't that kind of person. Yeah, that's yeah. a very good point. That's yeah. a very good point. So it's a, it's a self. This is, so when it comes to defunding the CBC, um, fine, if that's what it takes. What it really is going to take is a wholesale sacking day in the upper echelons where these decisions are made. And a new cadre of people who have a different approach to journalism, where they go back to the old way, which is what we practice here, by the way, whereas you take both sides and let the reader make up their own mind or the viewer make up their own mind. You don't adopt the new ethic in journalism. And this is what they're teaching in journalism schools today, whereas you, the journalist, have an obligation to place a certain point of view in front of the public so that the public understands what's right. And everything else is misinformation and disinformation, as if people were too stupid to be able to figure it out. Oh, exactly. Uh, a, a great example of this is just in the last week. Uh, I believe the CBC article that came out that said uh, taking the GST off the carbon tax would cost the uh, tax, do tax dollars a billion dollars. But I believe our headline was taking the GST off the carbon tax would save taxpayers a billion dollars. Exactly. So, Neither one is misinformation or disinformation, but obviously they're trying to push a narrative, which I don't understand why a media organization would ever 
purposely push the government's narrative the whole way, there's there's some critical things here that that they need to under, like take a look at. Uh, but you know they they do it and they do it unapologetically. And I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a phone call coming from the PMO no, no. to the CEO of of um, the CBC. But th that doesn't need to happen. She knows her job. She knows where the, who cuts the checks, who writes the dollars, who pays her paycheck. And when you are taking those government dollars, you're suddenly accountable to where those government dollars come from, which is why we don't take government dollars. And, and you know that's why we're we're accountable to our membership. And, you know, we've made mistakes. We've definitely made mistakes. Uh, and when uh, our subscribers, our members, our editors, anybody catches them, we fix them. Yep. We apologize. Uh, that happens. Anytime you're trying to record what's happening and get all the facts, you know, it, it's possible to make mistakes. But, you know, some of this goes well beyond that. Some of it is just flat out PR for, for the Liberal Party, the NDP Liberal Coalition in Ottawa. Thank God for our sponsors, eh? Absolutely. Which reminds me, while we're talking about it, you should become a member of the CSSA. Uh, they are fighting for your gun rights, they're fighting for your property rights, and they're taking on the Trudeau Liberals on their gun grabs and their gun buyback plans and absolutely everything. If you're not a member of the CSSA, you can become a member of the CSSA at CSSA-CILA.org. Now, while we're talking about Trudeau, bad laws, gun grabs, buybacks. Let's talk about Trudeau's legal reverses. There has been no shortage of these. Uh, they're actually, they're just, they're falling out at this point. Uh, so Nigel, why don't you, <coughs> let's talk about where, which one should we start with? Uh, well, <laughs> take a pick. Hey, so look, uh, here's, here's what we've had. This is just in the last six months. In January, just last week, the federal court ruled that the liberal Trudeau, uh, sorry, the Trudeau liberals had proceeded in an unreasonable and an unjustifiable way when they applied the Emergencies Act to the convoy situation. The truth of the matter is that existing laws could certainly have taken care of the issue. Here in Alberta, it did not take the Emergencies Act and the powers thereof to clear up the situation at Kootsin. Things could have been done that way in Ottawa. The judge, Judge Wagner, uh, sorry, Judge Mosley, said that it, when he began the case, he had some reservations about the movement. He says he still has reservations about the movement. But when he heard the quality of the arguments that were presented to defend what they did, as opposed to who they were, he had no option but to declare that the government had acted illegally. That takes you back then to, uh, well, let's not go into the plastics ban again, but uh, the, again, the federal court in November of last year struck down the single-use plastics ban. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, in October, the Supreme Court of Canada, on a reference case, said that the federal government had proceeded out of their lane to use Daniel Smith's expression, but at any rate, that Bill C-69, the No Pipelines Act, the, the Impact Assessment Act, as it's properly known, was unconstitutional in part because the federal government was moving into the provincial area. That's three. In July, um, it was determined, un unfortunately, this is not a binding decision, but it, it, there, there is an organization that reviews military cases, and it decided that Canadian 
Armed Forces members who had refused the vaccine had actually had their rights violated yes. when they were consequently fired. This is about 400 people, nearly 400 people, who were either fired or quit because they wouldn't take the vaccine. Now, never mind the, I mean, don't have the vaccine debate, because otherwise you'll keep me here all afternoon. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, they, it is a very personal thing to accept medical treatment or refuse it. Agreed. And therefore, to say, well, you're, you're in uniform, therefore you've got to do whatever we say, as opposed to whatever we order you to do in the line of duty, three different thing. So they lost on that. And then, you, you know, as you go back through the files, you see SNC, Lavalin, you, you, you see the ethics violations. And there is a picture that emerges here of a government that doesn't give a damn about what the law says. If they have something in mind to do, well, let's do it. By the time it's done, it'll be two years before it gets through the courts. And after that, we've achieved our objective. And they have. I mean, with Bill C-69, how many pipelines have we built? Exactly. You know? Even with the plastics ban, that's where all of these things are coming from at the municipal level now, is it mm -hmm. was building off of the original plastics ban. And how many restaurants have you seen plastic straws back at? I tell you, last night, my favorite <laughs> bar, my favorite pub, they have plastic straws. I was ecstatic. It's amazing. But uh, let's talk about the former attorney general. Uh, now, he's gone to private industry. He's been hired at a law firm. Yeah. Um, Mr. Lametti, you must. Yes. 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 Right. So. I wonder if you're an attorney and we've seen what happened when an attorney general stood up to Justin Trudeau in the past, Jody Wilson-Raybould stood up, said SNC-Lavalin, like this is the Department of Public Prosecutions, there should be no political interference, she wouldn't do what Trudeau said, she was gone. Now, Lametti was overwhelmingly responsible for these laws, obviously, it would have been his advice that they would have wrote these on. Do we actually think that it was coming off of David Lametti's advice, or was this directly coming from Trudeau? I would guess Trudeau. I, I, I think that he is in a situation where he feels very comfortable with his coalition with, with the NDP. It basically gives him the majority and or dictatorial powers that he is not afraid to use. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of stuff comes out of the PMO uh that generates all this stuff yeah, yeah. It, it 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 would surprise me that i mean there's a few attorneys sitting around and like at the cabinet table but it would surprise me that the government's lawyers are wrong this much to me it feels like this is coming from somebody who a doesn't care about the law doesn't care about the letter of the law doesn't care about the constitution and is saying i don't care what it says yeah. i want it like this and, and that's what it feels like to me, it, 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 like especially the invocation of the Emergencies Act. War Coots Measures Act. Done. Well, yeah, the War Measures Act. Coots was done. There was no more protest at the Ambassador Bridge. And the protesters in Ottawa had begun moving into the areas, working with police for days at that point. And it wasn't needed. And part of it says no other law in the country was available to stop it, except we know that there was. And to me, it feels like um, Trudeau said, I don't care what the law says, yeah. we're going to do this. It's hard to get inside anybody else's head and understand why they do certain things. 
there is something about the Prime Minister's repetitive behaviour, which, when put together with things that he has said, makes me think, and this is just an opinion, this is not a diagnosis, but that he enjoys the feeling of being regarded as a tough, determined Prime Minister who will make things happen. He said something along those lines 10 years ago, talking about how much he admired the Chinese yes. uh, way of government. And he also had, uh, he has a father who invoked the War Measures Act. Yes. Who I think overall was applauded for doing so. There was, not without its controversy back in the 1970s, but generally speaking, people felt, all right, well, there's somebody who takes charge when charge needs to be taken. Did Mr. Trudeau want that kind of uh, talk about him? Perhaps so. Uh, certainly, it has, if that was his idea, it has seriously backfired because this string of, and I, you know, I only went back six months, but these, this string of government actions that have been declared illegal by various levels of courts and judicial uh, and authorities speaks of a uh, of a government that just says, you know what, we're going to do whatever we want to do, and people can object, but we'll have our way. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it. I've seen it done in management union situations. Get the person out of here. Yeah, they'll grieve it, but well. 18 months later, meanwhile, we don't have to work with them. That's it's, right. it's a tactic. It's, yeah. a, it's very commonly used. So doesn't look good on them, frankly. No. I, I mean, just the, the amount of investment that they've chased out of Canada yeah. as it oh. is, is, is mind-boggling. Mind uh, you know, like we have, we have a tanker ban off of the West Coast, but we're shipping in dictator oil into yeah. Quebec. The and we can't build pipelines. And, and like they're they're applying like the the tech frontier mine was a death that was that was caused by this uh, bill c69 mm -hmm. and, and 50 billion dollars i believe yeah and could you imagine right now without the oil and gas industry canada would be in a recession for sure and, and then on top of it we have these shovel ready projects but even after uh, because of the way trudeau has written laws applied the laws and then the courts have struck them down Who's going to invest in that market? Like, who who's going to go and say, you know what? Let's put tech back on the table, but we're got to do it quick before no. Trudeau notices. You bet. Uh, uh, but this is, you know, I, when we have these discussions, I think there is a tendency to think, well, he didn't know what they were doing. I mean, look at the investment we've lost. They must be so sorry. No, they're not. No, they're, they. That was the investment they wanted to chase. Away. Exactly. They, that's and they didn't what they have to want. win the court case. They've. Chased away the investment. Oh, exactly. Tech's not going to put the money on the table to build that mine, even though they, they're not required to go through that assessment. The original approval from Alberta would still stand. But could you imagine going back to your shareholders and saying, well, we're going to take this extremely risky investment. We're going to invest billions and they could change the law, write a new one or whatever before you even get a shovel in the ground and get started. You know, it takes decades to build up a reputation as a solid place to do business. Mm -hmm. You can ruin it in months. Oh, absolutely. And that is their single biggest achievement. They've killed well, investment. And I find it fascinating that Minister Gilbo, uh, the environment minister, is talking about a federal or a plastics registry, uh, <laughs> while at the same time, 
coming to Edmonton to announce a new plastics facility. Does the cabinet table sit, do they meet in the same room? Do they know what they're doing? Because here they're investing like hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And on the other side, they're trying to make these exact same businesses struggle. Uh, You know, it's, I I, I don't understand. Do they want a good economy or do they want to do useless things to pretend to save the environment? I think the latter. Um, I think there's, you know, to get into conspiracy, the Thomas conspiracy, um, they want to keep fossil fuels in the ground so that at some point in time, they own them all. And then they can start bringing them out because they go, well, you know, that electric thing didn't work out so well. Or we don't have enough people, but don't worry about it. We, we, have, we, we control the oil and the gas now. And we'll look after getting it out to you and, and the power and the wealth that will generate for them for that. And again, this is the Thomas conspiracy. Uh, I think that's their long-term goal. Um, well, certainly there, there are many people who would agree with you and they would, um, they would wonder who, uh, the, Mr. Trudeau and the gang were taking their orders from. Yes. And it, you may be right, but I will tell you, 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 it doesn't have to be that in order to explain their behavior. Now it is possible for these people to be genuinely and sincerely mind-blowingly wrong and to have totally bought into a system of belief that makes all of these things thoroughly logical. And if it hurts people, well, you know, yeah. all right, that's the price we have. To, they have to pay, not necessarily us, but they will have to pay. Yeah, well, even, uh, you know, one of the talking points Trudeau always uses is that he's trying to support the middle class and those working hard to to join it. But almost every piece of economic policy that has come out since he's been the prime minister would be contrary to that. And a lot of these laws have made it worse. You know, if uh, you're trying to get uh, indigenous communities, and I I spoke to uh, Robbie Picard, an oil and gas activist from Fort McMurray on uh, the Corey Morgan show this afternoon. Well, how many indigenous communities would have been uplifted from the tech frontier mine? How many jobs? What does that mean for reconciliation? So, you know, I'm glad that the courts are finally saying, okay, that's enough. That That's unconstitutional. That's illegal. What you're doing is wrong. But how do we get that changed? Is there a way to, to you know, I don't think the liberals are ever going to start following the law. They're going to keep inventing it. But, you know, what we've seen, Calgarians picked up the phone. They called their, their city councillors. The bylaws gone. Do we think this liberal government would listen to the constituents? Because we've seen on the East Coast that when the pressure got applied to those MPs, they said, all right, carbon taxes off home heating oil. What can Albertans, what can Saskatchewan, what can BC, what can Manitoba do? Well, vote liberal, they would probably tell you. Maybe that would make a difference. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think I could live with myself, but uh, it's... um, it what it's going to take, I'm afraid, is a change of government. Yes, and uh, obviously, you know, that means obviously we're saying it's going to take a conservative government because there isn't anybody else who might do things differently. But you know, a reader contacted me recently and said, "Why do you always refer to the Trudeau Liberals as opposed to the government?" Well, I, I think it's important that we recognize 
that this liberal government is not a typical liberal government. Yep. The governments led by Paul Martin and Jean Chrétien, you know, didn't have to agree with everything they thought, but they were sensible enough not to do the kinds of things that this liberal government is. And I think the Liberal Party has been hijacked by a faction. It's a faction that's in control uh, uh, that, that just thinks that what it's doing is necessary and good. And therefore, it will be done over the objections of everybody. I agree. I, I, I actually, I, I'm wondering when... So I stopped short of calling them commies. <laughs> well, I, I think Trudeau's cabinet is a very tight group, and I think they control everything. And I don't think any of the MPs uh, outside of that circle get uh, a lot of um, input. I don't think they're listening to them. Um, but I also think some of them are just happy to be there and don't care. Uh, I think, you know, uh, what I think they're, they're well over getting paid well over $200,000 a year now. Uh, you know, they've got the pension, uh, they've got all of these benefits. So what's the point of rocking your own economic boat to go to war with the ideologues that are running your party uh, just to get tossed out? Which, by the way, is a lot smaller than the cabinet. Uh, I, I, I pass on what I've been told with the warning that people sometimes exaggerate, but my information is that the decision-making in this government is the Prime Minister, his closest non-elected senior officials, in other words, Chief of Staff, Principal Secretary, and a handful of politicians who do have his confidence, but that even quite senior cabinet ministers struggle to get an appointment yep. with the I Prime would, Minister. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. And when you see people like Mr. Morneau, who actually, again, I don't say that I agree with his with politics, but I will admit that the man understood money. Mm -hmm. Couldn't take it any longer. Oh. Bailed out before his own reputation was brought down amongst the people that he left behind. So I, I, I think, actually, James, with all due respect, it's quite possible that the, the orbit of decision-making in that government is very much smaller than the whole cabinet. Well, like you said earlier, Trudeau does admire the basic dictatorship in yes. China, and there's nothing more dictatorship-like than having all of the decisions for an entire nation be made in one room by a very small group of people. But that is all the time that we have for this week. Uh, I'd like to thank Mike and Nigel for joining me. Corey will be back next week. Derek might be back next week. Uh, but uh, thank you very much for joining us this evening, and uh, we'll catch you later. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.